This show is dedicated to the memory of Lieutenant General Vincent Stewart, the 20th Director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Of all the days on the calendar, one of the most meaningful for us at the Defense Intelligence Agency is Memorial Day. That's the day our nation sets aside to honor and mourn U.S. military personnel who have died in our nation's wars. Many ceremonial rituals honor our heroes. The one we're focusing on is the eloquent and haunting melody that evokes so much emotion, the most easily recognizable of all the military bugle calls, TAPS. I'm Yari Villanueva. I'm retired from the United States Air Force Band, where I sounded taps for 23 years at Arlington National Cemetery. Roughly 25 times a week, a military ritual occurs that is both familiar and moving. An escort of honor comes to attention and presents arms. Three rifle volleys are fired. After the briefest of moments, a bugler sounds the 24 notes of America's most famous bugle call. The description of the ritual that you just heard was written by our guest Yari Villanueva. He's recognized as the country's foremost TAPS expert. You bring the horn up and you have to play it perfectly. Everything stops. All the attention is on those 24 notes. I've always said that for 60 seconds, A bugler has the most important job in the military. This is DIA Connections. Sometimes as a trumpeter, you find yourself standing next to the President of the United States. So there's a little bit of pressure that comes into that. I really had this love of military music, and I also figured this would be a great way to serve my country, especially since the fact that I was not an American citizen at that time. It is a call that is played under sometimes the worst conditions, absolutely freezing, rain, snow, heat of the summer, and yet it has to be performed perfectly each time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of DIA Connections. This one's called The Last Monday in May. If you were in New York City, got in your car, and started driving north, you wouldn't get anywhere, because you'd be stuck in tons of traffic. It's brutal. But once you finally got on your way, in about five hours' time, 
you'll arrive in a town in upstate New York called Waterloo. It's a nice town, kind of nondescript, but that's in a good way, like a lot of small towns across America. But on one very special day of the year, Waterloo takes center stage. It appears in press clippings and on news stations that generally wouldn't be focused on Waterloo. And the good folks of Waterloo, well, they sort of have a prideful swagger about them, like they know something that you don't. And they probably do. The reason for the fuss is Memorial Day. And the reason for the commotion in Waterloo is thanks to President Lyndon B. Johnson. On this Memorial Day, I remind all of my fellow countrymen that a grateful nation is deeply in their debt. In 1966, by proclamation from President Johnson, Waterloo was designated as the official birthplace of Memorial Day. Originally, it was called Decoration Day, and Waterloo was recognized as the place that held the first formal, village-wide annual observance of a day dedicated to honoring the war dead. That occurred in 1866. There's even a Memorial Day Museum in Waterloo. And of course, it's on Main Street. There are quite a few other towns that lay claim to the origins of the day, though. These honored dead gave the most precious gift they had, life itself. For loved ones and neighbors, and for us, help us to honor their memory. What isn't disputable is where Memorial Day ceremonies attract the largest audience. We speak to you now from the Arlington National Cemetery, across the Potomac from the nation's capital, the scene today of the annual Memorial Day ceremonies. The program will feature an address by the president... Memorial Day is commemorated at Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia, each year, with a ceremony in which a small American flag is placed on each grave. Nearly 400,000 are buried across 639 acres of our nation's most hallowed ground. Many of our former DIA teammates, including agency directors, and those tragically lost in the terrorist attack at the Pentagon on 9-11, have been laid to rest there. The ceremony that you are about to witness is the changing of the guard. The cemetery's most iconic memorial is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. This is what our guest Yari Villanueva said about sounding taps at that century-old sacred site. Quote, Of all the times I've sounded the call... The most memorable were the times I sounded it at the Tomb of the Unknowns. To me, this is the highest honor that a bugler can perform. It is the military musician's equivalent of playing Carnegie Hall. For 23 years prior to retiring in 2008, Yari Villanueva was with the United States Air Force Band. He was a trumpeter, bugler, drum major, and staff arranger. He led the band in ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery, the Pentagon, the White House, and for state funerals. One of the things we have in common with Yari is Bowling Air Force Base in Washington, D.C. That's where DIA headquarters is located and where the band practiced. It's where we heard Yari right outside of our windows. Thank you for joining us today, Yari. I want to start by saying that we are very familiar with your work. 
<laughs> I began my Air Force career at Bowling Air Force Base in 1985, and one of the first buildings I saw as I entered uh, the base, of course, was the large silver building to my right-hand side. That was, of course, DIA. And over the years, over my 23 years there, I saw how that building expanded. Before I ask about your background and about TAPS in general, I want to talk about performing TAPS and military funerals. I understand that you've done it around 5,000 times, and that's remarkable. Can you share with us your thoughts and the emotions you have when you play it? My emotion was always, number one, don't screw up. <laughs> you got to play it as perfectly as you can. And that I always figured and always understood that when a family comes to Arlington, there's so much going on. The chaplain's providing this wonderful service. The honor guard looking so sharp. The firing of the volleys, the flags and everything. But yet the family's always going to remember the sound of that bugle. Let me change subjects on you. Can you walk us through the process of getting into a military band? Because I'm not so sure that people know it's not just, hey, I had a couple of sax lessons when I was a kid, so I'll just join the military and be in the band. There was one time when the military would take almost anybody. If you could read a piece of music, you know, they would grab you out of high school and play. But the level of performance now has risen so much that these positions in the bands worldwide attract really fine players. It's not like you just uh, enlist and then you hope to get a spot. You actually wait to find out that there's an opening in one of the premier bands and then you take an audition and it's it's a tough audition as tough as any symphonic orchestra job around the country they have dozens and dozens of applicants who will come for one specific opening when did you start playing and can you tell us about your audition well, I started playing when I was a kid, uh, actually in uh, fifth grade. I picked up the trombone. And then in sixth grade, I switched to cornet. As I got into my high school years, I was doing more and more performing. Playing in some jazz groups and polka bands and things like that. I really enjoyed playing it, so I decided I would like to make that my career. So I started taking professional lessons, and I got accepted into the Peabody Preparatory Department, which helped get me into the Peabody Conservatory of Music in Baltimore. And what about your audition? I auditioned for the Navy Band, I auditioned for the Marine Band, and I auditioned for the Air Force Band, and everybody turned me down. No way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I started what I thought would be a teaching career when the Air Force called me and said, hey, you were actually number two in the audition. And they said, number one can't do it. So... If you're interested, we'd like to have you come back and play for us, and we'd like to have you join us. So I went down and re-auditioned, and they took me. So you're a highly trained musician that decided to play military music. I imagine that's a little unusual. Was that something that you always wanted to do? Why go in that direction? 
the military bands really appealed to me because I really liked that music. And I also figured this would be a great way to serve my country, especially since the fact that I was not a, an American citizen at that time. I thought this would be a good path to citizenship and that I would be able to play music and be in the military and pursue something really worthwhile. Yari was part of the ceremonial brass unit of the Air Force Band. He's performed at five inaugurations, numerous state functions, and special arrival ceremonies, like the one in 2007 for Her Majesty the Queen. It is the moment to take stock of our present friendship, rightly taking pleasure from its strengths, while never taking these for granted. And it is the time to look... Of all the ceremonies that he was a part of, he told us about one in 2004 that meant a little more than the others. Ronald Reagan was the oldest former president in American history. He was 93 years old when he died today. Well, the big ceremonies, of course, that I was involved with was the funeral for the late President Ronald Reagan. My involvement in that was very particular and, and very meaningful to me because the family had requested a special arrangement of the song Going Home, which I had written for the band many years before. Just a quick reminder to our viewers that uh, we are expecting the casket to be moved onto the plane. There it is, sitting there on the tarmac. We are expecting a 21-gun salute, and we're also expecting the Air Force Band to play Going Home. Now, when President Reagan passed away, the family contacted the Air Force Band and said they wanted to have that particular arrangement played as his casket was loaded onto Air Force One for his final trip from Washington. And that particular arrangement was used in the movie uh, Clear and Present Danger. Ever since then, it's, it has become the staple of the state funeral plan. It's a nice little musical legacy, I, I feel. <laughs> The origins of TAPS dates back to 1862, but it's transcended the military over the years. TAPS is, is the only bugle call. It has a dual purpose. The first one is to sound the lights out call. So if you go to any military installation, even on Bowling Air Force Base at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, you'll hear TAPS being sounded. Of course, over the years, the call has been incorporated into the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, you talk to a lot of people who grew up going to a summer camp, they will tell you, oh yes, you know, when I was at summer camp, they'd always have a bugler who would sound taps in the evening. Towards the latter part of the 19th century, it becomes more and more used at funerals. And now you can't have a Memorial Day without a bugler sounding taps. As a subject matter expert, Yari knows better than anyone when Taps is played to perfection, and when it's not. He told us the story of when the entire world heard imperfection at the most inopportune time. 
the call that it was heard by more people around the world than any other was the call that was sounded on November 25th, 1963 at Arlington for the funeral of uh, President John F. Kennedy. And that was sounded by Army bugler Keith Clark. These are the bagpipes of the U.S. Air Force bagpipe contingent. Sounding off as the casket is removed from the hearse. When President Kennedy was assassinated, he was actually at home. And his first thought was, holy cow, I might get that call. By protocol, since Kennedy had served in the Navy, it should have been a Navy firing party and a Navy bugler that would perform those honors for the president. Because of the president's unexpected assassination, the military district of Washington was sort of caught off guard. There was really no plans for this. And then Mrs. Kennedy surprised them all by saying, I want my funeral to be like Lincoln's funeral. On Sunday night, late, just before the funeral on Monday the 25th, they had one of the final meetings, planning out the ceremony at the grave, when somebody raised his hand and said, "Uh, who's providing the firing party and the bugler? And everyone looked at each other like, oh my gosh, we forgot. So Keith Clark receives a phone call like 2 o'clock in the morning on that Monday morning from his commander saying, you're the bugler. A very cold and chilly day, no overcoats, and of course millions of people watching. The, the body bearers brought the casket up, put it down. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, let us pray. Oh God, through whose mercy... They had the, the short service, the and then came his moment to sound taps. And on the sixth note, because of the cold and he had not a chance to warm up, he missed the note. Plain and simple. It happens to all of us. You know, sometimes you, you, you're playing a perfect taps and all of a sudden one note gets away from you. It was worldwide. And immediately, people all knew about that note. Some thought Clark missed the note intentionally, as a symbolic gesture to the sadness of the day. But he didn't. It became known as the broken note. It's like the crack in the Liberty Bell. <laughs> you know, it's something that happened and it's always going to be there and it's just part of our culture. Ironically, just two weeks earlier at Arlington on Veterans Day, Keith Clark stood next to President Kennedy and sounded taps. Taps is 
probably the most important mission that any one of the military bands will have. It's the one piece that every trumpet player in any one of the military bands in Washington has to be able to perform at a moment's notice. And I'll tell you, the ones that always affected me, when there was no family, sometimes there would be a casket there, and the only people would be the chaplain, the representative from the uh, cemetery, and the honor guard, and myself. And even though there would be no family there, we would do the full military honors. TAPS is like the nation's way of saying farewell and, and thank you for a job well done. In 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which permanently moved Memorial Day to a Monday. It became a federal holiday in 1971. It gives us long three-day weekends, which we can take advantage of in many ways. There's local parades, barbecues, traditional sporting events, Indianapolis 500 is now green. and, if you're fortunate enough, maybe even a vacation. Whether you spend Memorial Day doing one of those things or simply doing nothing at all, we ask that you take a moment to remember the men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice. As always, thanks for listening to DIA Connections. <laughs>